Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Sam Unger Real Estate Team, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call Sam at 407-790-9957 or visit samsellsorlando.net. What's up, night fans, and welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you as the uh, as we continue to roll on with a busy, busy November in UCF sports, Eric. There's literally uh, – there, and it, Eric, we're recording this Wednesday, November 15th, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and we're a, basically a week away from Thanksgiving, and it, it, there's, it's too much. It's all too much. There's too much. It's like we're trying to get everything in before everyone leaves for the holiday. Well, right now I'm in a fetal position as we record this uh, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. I'm in a fetal position because I just finished watching UCF men's basketball hang on against Gardner-Webb, which we'll get into. Yep. I'm in a fetal position still because of what's transpired with women's soccer and men's soccer in postseason, which we'll get into uh, a lot of anxiety right now, a lot of anxiety uh, in, in my head, not to mention, obviously, football season's nearing the end and and, and, and lots of going on there on and off the field. So I, uh, I'm, a little, I'm a, little, a little edgy right now, but this that's OK. A, this is a big news week, a big news week for UCF. It thrill, we're we're going to theme this the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. So we're oh, gonna, like you talked yeah. about, we'll do uh, we'll talk about men's basketball. Um, starting off their season uh, 2-0, and but surviving Gardner-Webb just uh, earlier tonight. Uh, and we'll talk about the B.J. Taylor injury. Uh, we'll hit on uh, football, obviously. Good news and bad news on that front. We're 9-0. and We've got the time slot for the USF game. We've got the Temple game coming up against Jeff Collins. Um, but we also have uh, a lot to talk about with regard to Scott Frost and other job and, and potentially other jobs that are opening that he's being his name is being bandied about uh, reg- in regards to, uh, like you mentioned, soccer, women's and men's just uh, heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak all over the place. And uh, one place where we didn't see any heartbreak was volleyball. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, just a reminder, you can uh, hit us up at black and dot com for all the latest on all your UCF sports, uh, make sure you listen to listen to this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Follow us on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret, facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and hit us up on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon, and Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. All right, let's get started. So uh, we're going to tip it off with men's basketball because um, – well, the good, again, thrill of victory, agony of defeat. Thrill of victory, they're 2-0. Open up the season with an 88-79 win over Mercer. 
And uh, but it, but the the agony of defeat from that game was B.J. Taylor uh, left in uh, I believe the second half didn't come back to the bench, and we were really worried about it. And the worst, maybe not the worst case scenario, but a pretty bad scenario did happen with that. Uh, he broke his foot, and uh, it's four to six weeks. It's a big, huge disappointment, uh, especially for a player who's so important. Our our leading scorer uh, from last year, um, UCF, did outscore Mercer by 10 in the second half to get the victory. Um, the uh, leading scorers for that game, uh, Deion Griffin with 16 points in his debut, Cesar DeJesus with 16 points in his debut for UCF, um, uh, A.J. Davis uh, didn't have a very good uh, shooting day, only 3 of 11, but pulled down 15 boards. And this was in a game where, obviously, we also didn't have uh, Taco Fall. Uh, he sat out as well. And then, of course, Aubrey Dawkins is out for the season. But all of a sudden, so UCF is 1-0 uh, after the Mercer game. They come back tonight 2-0 uh, and get the victory over another former Co- Atlantic Sun Conference opponent, Gardner-Webb. Uh, 68-65. Um, leading scores for UCF tonight. Um, by the way, it didn't shoot particularly well as a team. Only 38%, 19-49. Threes weren't shoot, weren't falling down, but they held um, they held Gardner-Webb to 35.8% shooting from the field as well. Um, the Knights shot 40 free throws and made 28 of them tonight. So that certainly helped them to the victory. Uh, double-double for A.J. Davis, 15-10. Uh, 12 each for uh, Terrell Allen and Dayon Griffin once again on 5 of 11 shooting for Dayon, uh, including, but he was 0 for 4 from beyond the arc. UCF was only 2 of 15 from three-point range tonight. And also a double-double for Chad Brown. But again, uh, obviously we knew B.J. Taylor would be out for this game. Uh, no taco fall once again. Um, Eric, I'm like really, we're two games into the season, and I'm really worried about UCF men's basketball. Your top three, arguably your top three guys are out to start the year. We don't know. I haven't heard anything any, on Taco Fall. We know what happened with Aubrey Dawkins. We know what happened with B.J. Taylor. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you said it earlier. You're kind of in a fetal position, and I'm a Literally. I'm not even. Yeah, literally. I'm not, I watched the game. <laughs> Um, I watched you, both you games. Watched, I you asked. watched the you watched the game. I couldn't watch the game. I was actually at work. But what tonight? What what did you see? Well, I saw a team that right now is trying to figure out who they are, and the problem is they and, have no idea. They have their top three guys well, missing. <laughs> exactly. And and Michael Donald, who worked the broadcast with Bernie Gunther, so two of my friends there, and Mike was a dead on. Mike's, I mean, Mike's phenomenal. By the way, I mean, uh, I. I so I think if he if he gets the right breaks, he should be national analyst within the next five years. But that's a whole – he nailed it. Right now on offense, let's start on offense. On offense, they don't have the guy that initiates their offense. It's almost like everybody's kind of trying to look around and it's like, well, who's going to initiate do, do the offense? Do you want to initiate it? No. Do you? Right. No. Okay. <laughs> right. So they're playing tentative at times offensively. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and that's because B.J. Taylor is that guy. Uh, now, let me just say this. Like, the good news is I'll, I'll, I do like Terrell Allen. I think we do have a legit point guard uh, player, uh, but he's not a guy that's going to look for his shot like BJ does. And I think that takes some a- a- adjustments um, from that standpoint. So who is going to be that guy? Is it A.J. Davis? Well, Davis at times is, but you know, at times he wasn't. 
Um, you know, I, Griffin had another good second half. He's not, he's kind of off to slow starts, mm-hmm. uh, Deion Griffin, and then gotten going in the second half. Uh, McSpadden couldn't find the shot. He was active, but he just couldn't got to the free throw line, but he just couldn't find the shot. Um, you know, I think the first the guy, game he had 13 points. Not bad. Right, right, right. I think there's some guys, but that's the thing. I think on the offensive side, who you know they're they're trying to figure out who's going to initiate the offense and tonight you know the Gardner Webb game they could have easily they 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 were starting to pull away but then it got to the last couple of minutes and and they were kind of tentative again allowed Gardner Webb to get back in the game whereas if people know last year that's where I think BJ's going to be missed the most he was the guy that would make the plays down the stretch and put him in the right position or score himself when they would go on drought so you know now look. The good news from B.J. Taylor is that he's out four to six weeks. I mean, I know after we got hurt that Friday night, there was some concern even going into Saturday that he could be lost for the year. No, Nobody knew until the tests were done. So the fact that he's out four to six weeks, at least you know you're going to hopefully get him back uh, probably around the start of conference play. Uh, so, But the question is going to be how do they get by between now and then on the offensive side? Now, on the defensive side – uh, Chad Brown stepped up big tonight at 10 points, 10 boards, five blocks off the bench. But ju- I, I do think that they're de- – look, there's a reason why Taco Fall was the defensive player of the year. And it's not just in the box score. Taco Fall, you can sense when he's on the court Player last year, players were confident defensively because mm-hmm. he could clean up a lot of mistakes. Well, right now they don't have that. Now, Chad Brown was tremendous today. But even in the first half, you know, they gave up some rebounding. Uh you know, they had a trouble, in fact, slowing down uh, T.J. Laster, for example, who had 21 points, nine rebounds for Gardner-Webb. He got he got a lot of second looks uh, in that first half. And then David Efayani. How about the fact – what are the odds, by the way, that you would have a uh, Ifanaye playing Ifanaye, in this game yeah. after UCF had one last year? But, uh, yeah, no, they – you know, look, um, it, it's it's – I, there is concern. I mean, you, yeah. you lose two talented players, uh, and Aubrey Dawkins, many believe, was was going to be just as good as B.J. Taylor. I mean, that's the thing. You lost your starting backcourt basically, with uh, so that that they're in a bit of a trying to figure themselves out. And I think until B.J. gets back, hopefully you get Taco back. I know Bernie uh, said on the telecast that he's close to being back he was dressed tonight didn't play but was dressed my personal opinion this is just my personal opinion jeff i think he's gonna i think he's gonna hold him out until the advocate tournament at disney mm-hmm. uh you know try to see how that hip is you in, you should be able to be three and oh going into advocate without taco and then you get him back maybe for that nebraska game on thanksgiving night possibly west virginia down the road that's just my speculation i could be way off on that uh but I, I think that's the timetable. I think I could see Taco returning, or maybe by that Missouri game after the Advocate tournament. Right. Uh, but look, it, it, guys, got to step up. And you know, we had uh, we had Taylor Young last week and talked about the depth. Well, now the depth's being challenged. And what you hope is is that during this time period, guys kind of find themselves. And so by the time you get Taco back, and by the time you get BJ back. Now you're actually really confident going into conference play, but certainly you're right. Uh, there's definitely cause for concern because it's not easy to replace those guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, cause for concern, I think, is the understatement of the year. Um, the the part that I get worried about is, you know, uh, 
last year, the biggest shortcoming for this team was the depth. They basically had a seven-man rotation. This year, we come in, we're thinking, oh, finally, we will have some depth. We'll be able to keep guys fresh. And now, all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. You don't have your three top guys. Uh, two of them out for one for out, out for the season. The other one, you're hoping to have them back by conference play. Um, man, I, I mean, this is – I, I was it, – it's going to be – I really think that even if B.J. Taylor comes back 100%, that this season will still be kind of a struggle um, because there's going to be, a, like we said, a lot of new faces trying to get themselves accustomed to the system – uh, and I do think that they were planning on um, having Aubrey there to to really take a lot of the scoring load off of BJ, um, in addition to picking up what they lost from Matt Williams. But you know now it's it's anybody's guess how UCF is going to get through this early part um, of the season. So, but but you know here we are complaining and they're two and zero. So you know and well, they got worry. William and Mary coming up uh, coming up in their next game. Uh, on Saturday, that's at 2 p.m., and you can see that on ESPN3 at CFE Arena. Uh, and that's before they start the Advocare Advo- Invitational down at Disney on Thanksgiving night against Nebraska. Final thought on, on men's hoops. You know, like I said, here we are complaining, and they're undefeated. They're 2-0. <laughs> well, look, the positives are is I do like some of the personnel they've got. I think Allen's a pretty good point guard. I think uh, Griffin is trying to figure himself out, but you see the potential in the last two, in the second halves of both games he's been on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Jesus has some upside. So they, they've got some upside guys, but it's going to take a little time of adjustment. So unfortunately, you're right. There's going to be some growing pains, and I think this team's going to have to scratch yeah. and grind out some victories. And they may have to, if you can get Taco back, hopefully, by the Advocate Tournament, then you may just have to try to win some games on the defensive side until BJ gets back. You may have to, in, which they've done before. They've done that. And you may have to win some games uh, with defense more than offense because until BJ gets back, because you're probably going to go through some ups and downs offensively. Yeah. So that's gonna, this is going to be something we're just going to have to keep a very close eye on as, uh, as, as we progress into that advocate invitation. Hopefully we get taco back in time for that. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough role to go. So, um, all right. That's men's basketball, women's basketball, by the way, did not get off to the start that they wanted to this year. They uh, lost that opener also Friday night, that early Friday night doubleheader. So they lost the, the front half of that against Mercer, 73-64, but came back on the road at Chattanooga, at Tennessee Chattanooga, and got a win by one point, 58-57. Tough non-conference road win. Um, Aaliyah Gregory um, it, it, Scored basically what was the winning basket with 34 seconds to go on a fast break layup. Um, and then UCF was able to uh, defend the rest of the way. They got a late steal by KK Wright um, that, uh, that, that, that more or less sealed it for UCF. But um, they're one and one on the season. And uh, Aaliyah Gregory, once again, though, man, like just like you said, leading scorer for UCF right now so far. Uh, is although in the first two games you know, she's she's not not been great from the field ten to twenty six averaging eleven and a half Fifi Endure has really stepped it up for UCF as well she looks like she's going to be a force on the inside she's averaging seventeen and eight and a half boards uh, this season so um, you're seeing some new players step up you know we obviously Zai Lewis is not there anymore but you know some some familiar faces um, 
with Fifi. Uh, Zakia Saunders has actually played some pretty good minutes for UCF so far. KK Wright looks like she's pulled things together as well. The one, uh, the one downer that we did uh, get official word on was um, Tolua Makore, who is one of UCF's great rebounders. You know, the last couple, uh, uh, the last couple years, and just a truly outstanding ambassador for all UCF sports. Um, she announced uh, that she will miss the entire year with a knee injury. Um, she ho- she says she hopes to come back. Um, stronger than ever next year, and no reason to suspect that she wouldn't. Um, but it's still a bummer because that's a huge uh, gap in the rebounding that uh, Coach Abe is not going to have. But uh, women's basketball right now, I feel like they're still they're still trying to figure out their identity too. Because now you've thrown a lot of the leadership to uh, some players who, re- who who do need to you know kind of grab it by the reins and we've seen it with uh, Aaliyah Gregory so far and how and, and and I'm wondering how that will continue so uh, well it's gonna be any concern I, I, I was gonna say any concerns for you uh, based on what you saw in the in the in the Mercer game yeah I was there for the opener I actually watched the majority of the uh, Chattanooga game that game was online which was interesting because Chattanooga actually they had their old bat it was like a gym it was like a volume, like a small yeah. volleyball. It was a weird looking arena because they like it was just very interesting. It looked like the old arena, our, our old UCF arena, now the volleyball venue. But yeah, it was just a very weird, yeah, with the setup. Anyway, so they were down double digits. I mean, they were down, I think, halftime by twelve. I want to say at one point or something like that, and they made a run, and it was kind of similar. Mercer they dug themselves a hole, uh, made a run in that fourth quarter, and I know Coach Abe said that if they could play like they did in the fourth quarter, be more confident, more aggressive, they'll be fine. But they they haven't done that in the first two games. They're gonna still got two more games on the road. They got to go to Gardner Webb, and then they got to go to Virginia Tech. Um, so I think they're trying to figure themselves out. I think the question's still out: Can this team shoot the three? Can shoot from the perimeter? Can they get some scoring in the perimeter? Because uh, they do lose Zai. That's where Zai came in. She kind of helped mm-hmm. spread the court with her shooting. Uh, but you mentioned Fifi's been a big big presence inside. And look, teams are going to focus on Gregory now. I mean, the, the you know, it's it's like they say, you know, the, you're not going to sneak up on anybody. So I think teams are trying to take her out of her game early on, and some other people are going to have to step up in the meantime. So we'll see if they do that. Uh, but good, you know, it's good to get, you know they came back to win on the road. So you hope they give them some confidence on that. We'll see how they do at Gardner Webb and then a uh, Virginia Tech, obviously an ACC team before they come home here for a little bit of a stretch, but. Uh, Look, they're not going to sneak up on anybody. I think they know that, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they adapt and who steps in and provide that extra scoring uh, to help on uh, Gregory, and, and where's the offense going to come from? Yeah, I was going to say, save us, Aaliyah. KK Wright, I'm, I'm interested to see. You know, she has actually, I, I think she's. we're seeing a few, I think we saw, particularly in the late moments against um, Chattanooga, uh, you know, a, a little bit of uh, the improvement on defense from her. Um, so I think that she's going to be a real key for this team as they roll through. They're one and one once again. Uh, their next game, uh, whoops, I deleted it. Um, they're uh, the next chance to see them. They're actually got on the road for three straight at Gardner Webb Friday at Virginia Tech. That's a tough one. Wow. On uh, on Sunday, November nineteenth. They don't come back home until the day before Thanksgiving, uh, November twenty second. They got a home game against Elon, so uh, that'll be their next home opportunity. And then they host the Thanksgiving Classic at home on uh, Saturday and Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend against IUPUI and then Northern Iowa. So make sure you check those out 
um, uh, at uh, at at CFE Arena as well. So, all right, um, let's switch gears over to football because this is the obviously there, there are like three or four stories that are happening all at once. All right, number story number one obviously is uh, is UCF just rolling people. I mean, you know, nine and zero for the first time in school history. Uh, took care of business against Connecticut in a game that was closer than the score indicated, or at least it felt like it. Final was 49-24. UCF uh, did pull away. Uh, you know, conference game at home. Team kind of sputtered early. wasn't quite – they just didn't look sharp. They didn't look as sharp as they normally did. And, and of course, I say that, and they were up 21-3 after the first quarter. But um, – uh, but the Knights again score forty nine right in line with their with their season average. Um, individually speaking, uh, Mil- Mackenzie Milton, you know, just another day for him, huh? Twenty four thirty six for three eleven, two touchdowns. Um, Otis Anderson was the leading rusher, uh, eighty four yards and two touchdowns on nine attempts. Um, Adrian Killens did have uh, twenty four yards on seven carries, but his long was eighteen, so he couldn't quite break one there. Uh, receiving wise, Traquan Smith, another hundred yard game for him. Seven catches, 120 yards and a touchdown. Cam Stewart had a late touchdown. Marlon Williams caught a touchdown through the air. Um, Milton scored another one on the ground. Uh, we mentioned Killen scoring one on the ground. So, um, just, you know, more, more UCF offense, but, uh, a few concerns off of that game. The Knights got out rushed by UConn two twelve to one seventy three. Um, they did give up 18 of 31 uh, in terms of passing and 11.2 or, or, or and 11.2 yards per completion, but and 413 total yards to UConn. But uh, the Knights themselves racked up 519, and uh, and you know here they are once again nine and zero. Any concerns coming off of that UConn game? I was a little concerned about. Uh, I, I actually, I, I actually, I shouldn't say that. I was encouraged after the UConn game because we did not play well, and Frost actually said that he didn't think that they played well, and they still racked up 500 yards and 49 points. And I thought to me, and I thought to myself, boy, if this is how we look again, you know, not quite being sharp, I'll take it. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I mean, I was fine. I mean, I was more intrigued on the other side of the ball. Connecticut was starting their backup quarterback. Who was a mobile guy? Who were kind of a dual threat? Yeah, he was outstanding uh, in the, in, in, at times in that game. Uh, um, pull up his numbers here. David Pendell was eighteen of thirty-one yeah. for two hundred one, two touchdowns and a pick. And was and look at his yards rushing. I mean, he was mobile. I mean, yeah, and I bring that up. Yards on the ground too. Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, that's significant because you know Black Friday. We're going to see a way better version of that. A quick yep. flower. And I think to me that's going to be very interesting. I know we got Temple this Saturday, but you look ahead, you know, Quinton Flowers is like a way more talented version of that. So, you know, he's going to be a problem. Now, this could work to UCF's advantage that they got to see a kid like Penner and got some, you know, deal. And obviously, you know, you didn't know what to expect. He was starting for the first time and everything like that. But, you know, Flowers could give this team some problems because you have to worry about his legs and, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure UCF's strategy, and we'll get into it more next week, is try to beat, make force him to beat you with his arm. But easier said than done. I mean, the kid's a, a great with his legs. So 
Uh, I found that interesting um, from that standpoint. Um, and, you know, they gave up some plays here and there. But um, And, you look, there was a moment there in the third quarter where UConn had chances to get that within one possession. Yeah. It was a 28-17 game. They went for it on a fourth down, which I didn't agree with Randy Etzel on that. Uh, a, a couple times there, and he just didn't take advantage, and then UCF finally pulled it away. I think that was one of you those know. things where Randy was like, "We're three and six. The hell with it. Let's go." I'm sure that was part of it. Um, you know, obviously the third quarter was the second time this year. I, by the way, this is my status. Somebody who worked the official stats uh, uh, for the ESPNU telecast, they brought this up on the press box, so I relayed this to ESPNU. So if you watch the game, they mentioned this is because I told them to mention this. <laughs> the third, that third. Thank you. Uh, the third quarter was the second time all year, that third quarter, was the second time all year that UCF was held scoreless. Uh, it was only the second. Okay, so that was the second quarter all year that the Knights failed to score a point. Correct. It was the second time wow. all year of all the four, 35 quarters they played because they didn't play the fourth. And it's not counting the fourth quarter that they didn't play against Cincinnati. Remember that got washed out and mm-hmm. all that? Can you Do you remember the, the other quarter? Hang on, let me pull up the schedule. I'm going to take a guess. Cheat. All right, don't cheat. Uh, I, I'm not. Look, I'm, I'm not looking. At, I'm going to say it was the Navy game. Well, you're close. You're in the right state. Um, it was the Maryland game. Oh, first Maryland. Quarter, first quarter. That's right. It was scoreless after the first, wasn't it? Or no, we were so, down three nothing. I think nothing. Right. So those are the only two quarters this year that to this point where UCF has not scored. How about that? Stat? Isn't that something? Oh, wow. Uh, pretty amazing. So. Uh, as but you know then they turn it on with twenty one in the fourth quarter so that's the thing um, twenty one in the first twenty one in the fourth that was pretty much it <laughs> yeah so look it's going to be interesting obviously uh, what's interesting obviously this Saturday you got a five and five Temple team temp weather and I know you look into this more closely than I do from what I last checked and obviously we're still wet. we're recording this on Wednesday so as we know weather could change between now and Saturday so what we say now may be might be irrelevant come fi- Saturday but. Uh, I guess it's going to be pretty good, like in the 40s, maybe. It's going to uh, be chilly. Um, I'm looking at this from the Weather Channel. Uh, Saturday, we're looking at a high of 54, low 46. Uh, windy out of the south at 14 miles an hour, 20% chance of rain. It's just going to be just a just a ugly, cloudy fall day. It's actually going to be almost exactly like the game four years ago. When we went up there and P.J. Walker, then freshman P.J. Walker, turned into f- Superman. Now, now they play they, they play at an NFL stadium where the Philadelphia Eagles play. Mm-hmm. So I think I would expect the, the the field and everything to be good. Uh, but you're right; that'll be interesting to see how they handled that uh, on both sides of the ball. And, and the, you know, the good news, you know, maybe I'm run glad the ball. you're I'm glad you're optimistic about the track because I'm not, man. That I, I know it's not the vet. But that field, when when the when the grass dies, it turns to dirt, and you know that they're going to want to try and grow that grass long. Jeff Collins is the head coach at Temple. We remember him from his days as our defensive coordinator. He is one smart dude. I, I would not be surprised to see him kind of maybe pull uh, pull a couple of stunts. I would not be surprised one bit. <laughs> it might be, but he He's doesn't get that chilly hot. I'll tell you that. Well, he could try all he wants. I mean, I still think UCF has enough firepower to uh, get through that. But man, I hope you're you know, right. I, I think the bigger concern is they just don't get caught looking ahead to the USF game because uh, yeah, I, I think even I, I think even some of the one of the players after the words in the post game said that they kind of 
maybe let their guard down when they jumped out to that big lead against UConn, um, which tends to happen. And so uh, I'll be curious to see how this team comes out focused, if they come out focused, locked in, ready to go. If they are, I think they won't have a problem. If they if they look distracted, if they look like they're, look, they're thinking about USF, then you know, it might be an interesting game. But, yeah. um, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, the good news is offensively, like you said, they're going to get opportunities. And, uh, man, I mean, Gabe Davis uh, – back-to-back monster games the freshman out yeah. of Seminole uh, I think we need to bring him up 192 yards I mentioned him on the actually on the nightline post game show he's at after another victorious fantasy win by the way thank you we'll and, take have yeah. we clinched that yet yes yes we are seven and two they keep ex- they making excuses that's all they know how to do because they keep oh, double now they, or nothing you know all that well they're complaining because I was the statistician which again for the record no you I'm weren't this is the thing. I'm the official stats for ESPN. All, you, all I'm doing is I'm repeating the numbers that is inputted by UCF staff people. That's right. all I do. I well, actually it, make up the numbers. Yeah, you, if, with, you, if you want stats, if you want, if you want somebody to blame when it comes to stats, don't blame Eric. Blame Pat. Blame Pat Herndon. Blame wow. uh, but, you know, no, it's not Pat. No, it's not Pat. Pat's doing oh, it's internal not Pat? PA. Okay, no, he does internal PA. Leave him alone. He's a good guy. Okay, I, I'm not going to blame Pat. Even if it, even if it was Pat's fault, that's fine because Pat's Pat's a professional. He does his job better than anybody else. You know, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's look. We're just we're, we're just presenting the cold hard facts around here. And for, that's, the, yeah, and for the record, for people that may not be aware, what, how this works is there's a a stats crew of about four people, four right. to five people. There's there's a person that will input all of the numbers. All right. Mm-hmm. Like every every play. This There's is a like, very hard job, by the way. The, it you, really is. Because I you mean, have to real. be so quick inputting yes. so much data. Right. It's it, it is. You should we should actually just put a camera on those people and and see how, how they actually do it. It is incredibly hard to do stats for football. Well, especially now with the this offense, uh, you know, as opposed to the George O'Leary offense, where you at least you had a huddle to figure it right. out. You don't sometimes you don't even get a huddle sometimes. So um so you have somebody that inputs the, the the numbers, and then you have a he has a spotter that tells him, and that's going to yell out tackle by so and so or deflected. Yep. And there's two or three spotters basically that are doing that, and so everybody has a you know so one person's looking for the defensive player, someone's looking for offense. So it's it's really an impressive uh, thing. I, I I marvel at it as somebody who has always loved stats and stuff. And the funny thing is. I'm not even the only I'm not even the only stats guy for ESPNU they use. They have another guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was interesting to me. They have another guy that checks some other stats that they look for. So it's like multiple people. So, yeah. I, it, you know, so so stop making excuses. I'm just reporting. <laughs> what I do is I report to the truck uh, a some stats that they might be looking for. Like what's McKenzie Milton's numbers here? What how long was that drive? And a lot of times as people have been you've been to the press box. A lot of times UCF will announce certain things, trends, like uh, this was the longest drive of the year. This was the right. longest run of the year. Or like milestones like so-and-so's 100th career catch or something like that. Correct. Or that stat that I just gave you about the second quarter. UCF announced that, and I told that to the crew, and the crew used that on their broadcast. And that's how a lot of times information that you guys watch on broadcast get. That's how they get it, right. uh, especially in-game stuff. So. And, and obviously there's stuff we get with notes that you look up and look for trends and like that. Like, for example, UCF nine straight games. Now they've scored over 30 points, which is the longest in the nation, for example. That was in the notes. So as soon as UCF scored a touchdown, I passed that along to the stats crew because that was one of the things we went over on the pregame 
because we go over stuff. Hey, look for this, look for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it's it's pretty cool. I enjoy doing it every time I get an opportunity. But I again, uh, contrary to what our 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 friends would like to, because all they do is make excuses. It's <laughs> always somebody's fault when they lost. It's rigged. It's this. No, we're just better than you. That's all it is. And so and really. We were kind of like UCF on Saturday. We really didn't play our best, and we still beat you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Um, <laughs> this Temple game, by the way, UCF. Uh, speaking of numbers, uh, is favored by fourteen on the. God, I hate those huge road numbers. Um, and the over under fifty six. Um, the line uh, has moved up only a half point from thirteen and a half to fourteen. So kickoff is at noon, ESPNU. Uh, By the way, same broadcast crew. If you watch the UConn game, it's the same crew uh, with John Kajemi and I believe my cousins, uh, the broadcast right. crew. So they will be the so, same crew for the Temple game. The, for, the, for those of you that will be watching on ESPNU, a note on UCF. By the by the way, Temple um, in the standings. I just wanted to pull this up. They are they are actually in third place in the East, but it's a two horse race between UCF and USF right yeah. now. So because they're three and three, five and five in the league. Over in the West, by the way, um, Memphis at five and one. They basically have a two game lead on Houston because they beat Houston head to head. Memphis at eight and one overall. Houston six and three overall. Four and two in the league. Navy. Um, you're right, boy. They're starting to fade down the stretch. They're now four and three in the conference. Six and three. Uh, overall and SMU three and three in the league six and four overall. So um, that'll give you a quick update on the American stats. By the way, for coming in, UCF still the uh, highest scoring offense in the American. And uh, I oh I had it here a second ago. Yeah, there it is. Fifth, uh, excuse me, still the number one scoring offense in the country, forty eight point six per game. Number two in the nation in pass efficiency as a team, one eighty four point oh one. Number six in turnover margin, plus 1.22. Number five in total offense. These are national numbers. Number five in the country in total offense at 538 a game. Um, obviously, you know, leading or darn near leading the American in those in those categories. Number one in scoring offense. Number two in scoring defense, by the way, is UCF right now, giving up 20.7 per game. By the way, number one in scoring defense? Go for oh, yeah. it. You got USF. It- Nineteen point nine, nineteen point nine again. You know, it's funny you bring. It's funny you bring that up because uh, these two teams are like mirror images of each other right now. Uh, they are to some extent. I mean, I I, I will say this because uh, I've had this. I had this argument on social media and, about and here, USF. And here we are looking ahead again. By the way, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, but here's the thing. UCF will probably like USF is probably going to be the most talented team. They would have played in the schedule. Would you agree with that? I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Even especially more so on the than Maryland side of the ball. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Maryland was beaten down, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think this will be the best defensive athletes UCF will see all year. I think it's. Vice I think versa. it's a push. I think it's a push between USF and Memphis in terms of the best offense or the most talented offense. Sure. We've well, seen. For, correct. Because Ferguson, I think Ferguson's the best quarterback in the league. Uh, he's a better passer than Flowers by far. Flowers is more of a runner, uh, but I think USF's got a pretty good running game. Uh, and, you know, we'll get into that more next week in a lengthy detail. But yeah. uh, it's interesting because obviously the rankings came out Tuesday night, and 
Actually, some people were okay with the 15th rank. It wasn't as angry as they were the weeks before. Well, because UCF just, moved up three spots. That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so what a big difference. All of a sudden, we're happier because they're 15. Like, that really right. changes Even though them. we should be probably – I thought we should have been – looking at the teams that were ahead of UCF, by the way, and a good, a good segue to the rankings because this is the next thing I want to talk yeah. about. I thought we – I thought – I think on a neutral field, we'd be favored over everyone up to number 10. Uh, can you read off the list? I mean, uh, I don't yeah, have let me pull, let me pull it up. But go ahead That's with what you were saying. Uh, but 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 what's interesting was I made this. I tweeted this out, and you saw it where I said, you know, the, my takeaway, you know, because everybody focuses on where every team's ranked, and and the thing about it, if people haven't catched on with this, every team feels they got screwed. Every field team feels they got disrespected by the committee. That's how this stuff works, and mm-hmm. no, and everybody does it. Nobody gets this. Everybody thinks it's just them. Um, it's just funny how this stuff works. So I made a tweet. The thing that I was interested in is the fact that Boise State entered the top 25. They're, at, they're at number 25 right there. Yeah. Because that's interesting because you have UCF obviously at 15, and I think Memphis is at 21. Correct. And that's interesting because I pointed out this scenario. Well, you know, Memphis plays SMU this Saturday. What if SMU knocks off Memphis? Well, now – that drops Memphis to two losses, probably drops them behind Boise State. We don't know. And let's say, let's say USF knocks off UCF, for example. Now it's USF Memphis in the title game. Memphis wins or USF. It's not a guarantee that the American Conference would get the bid. Right. If Boise could, State, would, you know, I'm not yeah. saying it wouldn't happen. I'm just saying it's not a lock. You know, because now there is a threat there. So, so what you're saying is that is that the the American Conference could basically beat itself out of the it out could. of the access bowl. It could. I'm not saying it will. Okay, because because uh, people jumped at me. They they flipped out. I mean, of course they did. <laughs> First of all, yeah, you said, well, why are you such a Debbie Downer? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you bringing up the scenario about boys? I'm like, well, because there's hypotheticals. I mean, that's right. You know, that's why I, we I, do I'm this. Not, yeah. Otherwise, that's how this industry works. And, and I, I maintain that UCF still controls his own deal. They're fine. But I just brought up the interesting scenarios where if Memphis were to lose to SMU, that's two losses for them. Let's say USF gets upset by Tulsa okay, on Thursday night or UCF gets upset by Temple. Right. And then the and then they lose again on the on Black Friday. Now all of a sudden and Boise State wins out and you know Boise State has a big brand. They may get the nod for that ball. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but not that that was my takeaway. And yet people flipped out. And the interesting thing was people some people are making the case for USF to be right ahead of Boise State, which at this point I strongly disagree. Um when you consider not this, when you lose at home. Not when you lose at home but, to Houston. Well, here's the funny thing, and 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 I'm really I gotta stop I mean, I got I guess I have to stay off social media on this stuff, but <laughs> it's funny to me how people keep obsessing about the win-loss record. Well, that team's got two losses. We got one you know, one loss. We should be ahead. Why? No one gives Why? a crap about the win-loss record. They don't. But here's the thing. Not every schedule is the same. Right. Like, yeah, USF only has one loss. You know how many teams USF has played up until going into this week that have a winning record? Um, you can look at not, it if I know you it's, want. I know it's not many. I'm just trying. Probably two. One, Houston. You know who that was? Yeah. You know what happened there? And they and they got beat, lost. Yeah. At home. Yeah. Think about that though. Think about that. They, 
and again, some of it is not their fault. Some teams just didn't, you know, whatever Illinois, but you know, it is what it is. Right. They played San Jose state who has one win this year and is actually ranked as one of the five worst teams in college football. According to uh, 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 Andrew <laughs> McGee at ESPN.com, they were That's losing. Hilarious. 17, they were losing seventeen nothing to that San Jose State team. They were losing to Stony Brook, who's not very good. They beat Illinois, who's two and eight. Two and eight. Um, they beat on Tulane, who's the worst team in the western side of the division. It's not like they played the top teams in the West. They get Tulsa, who's had a down year. They did whack they beat- Temple. Who's five and five. And if UCF takes care of them on Saturday, they're going to be under 500 as well. So, again, why should USF be ranked? They haven't beaten anybody. Yeah, uh, and, I, and yet, you know, Boise State, people are knocking them because, well, they got they lost to Virginia. Well, Virginia six and four. They're actually pretty decent. They're better than Illinois. Uh, and they played Washington State and lost to them in overtime in Washington State. Yeah. Uh, and they've beaten some good teams in the Mountain West, which, you know, I hate to break it to some people, but and, and I'm the biggest American conference guy. I think we both are. And I think it is the the one of the best leagues in football. I think it's at, at worst right now the sixth best league. But that doesn't mean that they're not good teams in the Mountain West. And Boise has beaten some of them. And, oh, by the way, Boise State beat Troy. You know who didn't beat Troy this year? LSU. <laughs> it's true. So just saying. So I don't have a problem with Boise State being ahead of a USF uh, because I don't think you just because you have a better record than another team, you should be ranked ahead of them. And, you know, I know everybody brings this up with UCF because there's a bunch of teams that have two losses that are ahead of them. Well, look at the losses. Yeah. Who did they lose to? Um, you know, you'll, you know, it, it, it's not it. Some teams, are, you know, how would you do if you had that rec, uh, that kind of schedule? You know, and let me just say this. Yeah. If USF goes out and beats Tulsa and beats UCF, and beats Memphis, they'll probably be back in the rankings, and then they'll probably jump Boise State, and that's fine. But they haven't done that yet. Right. So until they do that, they're not good. they shouldn't be ranked, in my opinion. Let, let me ask you this on the UCF side, by the way. Just real, real quick before we move on to yeah. Scott Frost. Um, I'm going to read off to you. So UCF is 15th. I'm going to read off to you sure. numbers 14 through 11. Actually, 14 right. through 10. You tell sure. me if UCF is favored over these teams on a neutral field. You ready? Yeah. 14, Washington State. Uh, that's a good game. Uh, that'd be a fun game, wouldn't it? Uh, it would, it would uh, last although, 16 although, although hours. A, <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm a little sensitive on that game. After, after like, I saw those two programs playing women's soccer in person. So I better yeah, be we'll, curious. we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. In fact, just for that, for just because of that, I'm going to make Washington State the favorite. But okay. not, by, not a big favorite. That, okay. That's a good game. 13, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State would be favored. I mean, they were uh-huh. a team. Were a okay. They were a pre, they were a preseason top five team. They're a, they, uh, Gundy. Yeah, they would be they would be favored. Nah, I think UCF would be favored on a neutral field over OK State. Twelve TCU. TCU would be favored. Okay, they're coming off a loss. They dropped six spots from six to twelve. By the way, yeah. eleven USC. Oh yeah, USC would be favored. Are you kidding me? That's a, that's one of the big brand teams. They would be favored with yeah. They they would be favored. I, I think if all they. Yeah, absolutely. They would be favored. They would, they would, would be. Fa- they would be favored. I'd take UCF. I'm not a believer in Sam. Oh, I mean, that's fun. That's different. I mean, that's a different. You asked who would be favored, and I just right. told you who would be favored. And a lot of that is because of the brand and big names and power conferences. And I mean, remember, remember this. You 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 scoffed at Oklahoma State. Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl was like an 18 point favorite over. This UCF. is true. 
This is true. Sure. Now they were also the number one scoring team in the country, though. Yeah, Let's remember that. Oak State's no Oak State's no slouch. I mean, they got arguably, if not the best, they got probably maybe the second best quarterback in the country, Mason Rudolph. Um, so uh, they could score. So I'm just telling you that they would be favored. Um, Penn's you, Penn State, you, by the way, I should mention that. I, I, I think that Penn State would definitely be favored over UCF. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean that's the thing. I mean. Look, I mean, Oklahoma State's losses were to TCU and Oklahoma. I mean, those are two pretty good teams to lose to. So while people, some might say, well, they shouldn't be ranked ahead of UCF, well, how would UCF do against if they played TCU and played Oklahoma, which I'm sure some in our audience wish would be happening because that means they'd be in the Big 12, right? right. But, um, but every schedule is not the same. And so you can't just base it on win-loss record. Who did you play? Who did you beat? Who did you lose to? I think those are some of the equations. I'm not saying that UCF shouldn't be ranked higher and I do think there is biasness, as we all know, with the system, which that was the other thing I was surprised at. I got an argument. People are like, well, there, look, why is there five ADs there from the power five? That's a that's a biasness. I'm like, well, what did you no, think? Would really? Happen? <laughs> yeah. What, 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 have you not followed the sport? Like, this is how the sport has always been. They always favor the power conferences. Why do you think you wanted to get into the Big 12 to begin with? Um, and, I, I, and I, like, I just start. I, I start. I, I Part of this that drives me nuts is when I hear people say, oh, this is not fair. We know it's not fair. Yeah, it's not We know it's to not be. fair. And it's not going to be, and you complaining about it is not going to make Correct. it more it's, fair. It's, so stop complaining about it and, win, and, tell, and, and show up to the stadium instead to root your team on to win the games in front of them. It's a subjective system. It's always right. been subjective. It's based on opinion. So there's flaws to that. It's not a true playoff. A true playoff would be... If they set some, uh, you know, you know, you know, hey, if you win your conference, you're automatically in. Well, they've like, thrown you know, this around a lot of late, by the way, where, uh, Which is where what I, right. I, I think a couple coaches, I forget exactly. Who, Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy it should, actually, go, to it should yeah. go to eight. And they said, you know, the top, you know, the, 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 yes. the five conferences plus plus a group of five best team plus two at larges. And I've always yes. thought that's the most fair way to do it. Make it I eight. Spring, I think correct. they're I think they're going to go that way when. um when, when this next contract is up. Well, uh, uh, you know what's when, yes. And you know, what's going to happen is and that's that, that contract's about maybe five, 10 years away, mm-hmm. uh, 10 years. It would take something like Wisconsin going undefeated and getting shut out. Something like that. That's what it would take for people to really get the ball rolling. Cause really, uh, until that, that, that's the kind of stuff that would happen. But for people to like act shocked that this is towards bias towards the power five, of course it is. It's their little party. I mean, wait till people flip out when Alabama, if Alabama loses to Auburn, and there's—I guarantee you this—if Alabama loses to Auburn, you're still going to get into the playoff. Mm-hmm. You watch. Um, it's subjective. It's not based. Look, I know UCF could UCF beat some of the teams you mentioned. Of course they could. I could also say that UCF could lose to some teams that are probably below them. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's the same argument. It's all subjective. I mean, you know, let let's remind people who did UCF lose to the last loss? Arkansas State. Anything can happen in college football. Yeah, that uh, game was in Orlando, too, lest we forget. Correct. So, I mean, anything can happen. So, of course, UCF can beat and play with some of these teams. That's the sport. Uh, but it's not. It's a subjective system. So, yes, there is biasness. And it's going to stay that way because the Power Five want to control the money. They don't. They, they, they're, they're, they, they just kind of have the group of five and says, here you go. Here's your bowl game. Leave us alone. Really, what it would take place, the only thing that would help, and, I, and that's why I was really – I was a huge Houston fan last year. 
And I and I scoff. I hate it when people were like, you know, like fans were like, "Oh, good, the Houston lost." I'm like, "No, that's not good," because I thought Houston had the formula. Because remember, they played Oklahoma in Houston, who ended up winning the Big Twelve, and they beat them. They ended up playing Louisville, who was a team that was red hot with Lamar Jackson. They beat them. If you're a group of five team, that's what it's going to take is to play a schedule like that and then hope that your league is good enough to where you play a couple of good teams in the league. And Mm -hmm. then you could put some pressure because remember, when Houston beat Oklahoma, a lot of the media was behind Houston. There was a lot of push uh, and things like that. Unfortunately, they got beat up within the conference, so they became irrelevant. But that would have been interesting had Houston taken care of business in the conference. I think they would have been inside the top ten, and I think there would have been some pressure to get them in. I don't know if they would have gotten in, but they certainly would have had an interesting. Uh, it would have. It would have been. It would have been interesting debate going on. You're not going to get in of on a group of five if you don't have some marquee wins, in particular against the power five schools yeah. that are good. That's the problem. See, one of the things that hurt UCF that Georgia Tech early, game. I don't even know if Georgia Tech would have made a big difference because Georgia Tech's okay. Uh, the, they needed what they needed was, you know, what's funny what they could have needed. And I don't know what, what was true and what was not. I remember an O'Leary's, I want to say it was his last year. It was right around the time he was the AD. And remember he does the radio show and everything. Mm. And he brought up the fact that UCF and Miami were in talks. To yeah. Play. You remember that? Yeah. Well, I mean, there was, there was a series beforehand Right. Um, I think it was a two. For, I think it was a two for one. I can't exactly remember. I do. I remember that. I, that I was. There I was, was some. I was here. I was working there for the game. That well, Miami game home at home. It was a home at home. Right. Okay. That Miami game at home, by the way, was it, it still set the record for attendance at at, uh, at Spectrum Stadium. It was a great. It was a great night uh, yeah. from an attendance standpoint. So there were some. I remember when he brought it up. There was discussions of doing that again, or possibly playing a three. You know, some sort of series. And then there were some rumors that the Florida Citrus Sports got involved and that they wanted that game to be played at the formerly Citrus Bowl. And, you know, in theory, to you know be like a kickoff classic like they've mm-hmm. started, uh, depending on what you hear. I mean, there's a lot of different versions. I don't know what's true. Um, there were some rumors that UCF reneged at that because they, they just wanted a home and home, that they didn't want to play a neutral game. There were some people that speculated that, no, no, it was that Miami didn't want to play at UCF. They just wanted to play at the Citrus Bowl and then play at Miami. I don't know what's true, but my point is, imagine if UCF would have been playing, uh, let's say, Miami this year or next year. Think that would get some people's attention on the oh, committee? Yeah. Oh, that's that's what I'm time. talking about. That's the type of games you're going to have to have and win to get put pressure on the committee. Beating mediocre teams from the Power Five is not going to do it, and I think that's been proven over the years. Western, and by the way, it's not like UCF is the only team that's been through this. Western Michigan, people forget last year, uh, went undefeated. They beat Northwestern, and they finished 15th in the final rankings before they got into the Cotton Bowl. So they've always been like this, and they're always going to be like this. So I don't know why people are acting shocked. My thing is, don't complain when your team is the one involved. Complain when other teams are involved then right. you'll be consistent i've made this case on twitter it's like people that complain about the electoral college <laughs> after the result that doesn't do you any good i'm not a proponent of the electoral college but it's stupid to bring it up after the fact you need to bring this up way in advance right. every you knew, year you knew the rules of this right? like so. bring this up when the when it didn't matter right. what the popular vote was or the electoral college bring it up then don't bring it up after the result it's just quick, silly quick i just want you to give me a number here 
Yeah. UCF, let's say UCF wins out, beats Temple, beats sure. USF, beats, let's say, Memphis in the American Athletic Conference championship game. What number is next to them when we go to the bowl season? Ooh, <laughs> look at you, man. All right. Let me go through that list again, and I will tell you if, the, if they'll jump. I, or... I, 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 Come on. I, Sharon, deleted on. it right. again, right? What's the matter with me? Right. Okay, well, here we go. Uh, right now, UCF is at 15. Uh, ahead of them are 14 Washington State, 13 Oklahoma nope. State, 12 TCU, 11 USC, 10 Penn State, 9 Ohio State. Wow. 8 Notre Dame, 7 Georgia, 6 Auburn, 5 Oklahoma, 3, or, or, or excuse me, 5 Wisconsin, 4 Oklahoma, 3 Miami, 2 Clemson, and 1 Alabama. I mean, some of those teams will lose. The problem is, for example, will they fall? I don't think they'll fall far. And you know, for example, like if Oak, does Oklahoma State make the Big Twelve title game or TCU? Yeah. I will say this: Give me a number. Come on, out, I'll go thirteen. Thirteen? Yeah, I'm a little more optimistic than you. I'll say eleven. Okay. So we, we got on our just recording. outside the top ten. So we'll see how that works out. Assuming, of course, UCF wins out, which we still have. At, at least two, which I've, hopefully right, which three I've, games left to go before we have which to Which I've also, which, which is for all the people that get upset about rankings, it really doesn't matter if you don't win out, then who cares right. where you're ranked at that right. point. But anyway. All right. Let's, uh, let's move right along because I wanted to get this uh, get this going here before we... I know, this we, is bothering. I know, this is I know, buggy. I know. All right, so... I love this. You we, hate this stuff. We've been talking about Scott Frost and the, oh. and the sharks circling around him uh, with his time here at UCF for quite some time here's the latest i I know we've kind of been like for those of you who listen to us consistently we probably haven't been talking about this as much and i'm sure that there are some people out there in ucf land who are thankful for that um but let's let's just address this out in the open nebraska is is going to come hard at scott frost this year okay they had there was a nebraska omaha writer by the way at the yukon Dirk, he wrote a story. Uh, Dirk Chatelain is his name. He writes for the <laughs> Omaha World Herald. Actually, I just re- I just read his article earlier today that he posted, and it's very complimentary of UCF yeah, uh, on I, I, on everything except for the attendance, well, which is yeah. fairly obvious, you know. But but, yeah. but the way he presented it was, look, you know, Scott Frost, you know, um, he could walk on water over here, and um, and you know, uh, let's see what the key, let's see what the key quote was. I know I had it. Um. Over here. Okay, so he said that's why Scott Frost's choice is more complicated than salaries or trophies or conference affiliation. It really boils down to this. Does he covet? This is this is the article on Omaha.com. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. It really boils down to this. Uh, does he covet tradition or imagination? Does the new dad want to save something old or build something new? So uh, a lot in there. He's got some quotes from Danny White. He's got some quotes from a couple of fans in here. Um, Not yeah. that far off, right? I mean, isn't that what this is? I mean, in, yeah. To what do you want to do? What, 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 do you, what do you want to do if you're Scott Frost? Only Scott Frost knows that. Correct. And he'll make that decision after the season. And I don't think there's a wrong decision for him. It's his life. I mean, we all have to make decisions that's best for us and the family and all that. Uh, he'll make that decision, whatever is best. If he wants to stay here and keep building, that's great. If he wants to move on and go to Florida or Nebraska, I don't blame him either. I, I he, the world is his oyster right now. I mean, that's uh, I, I don't, 
I, th- I understand all sides of it, to be honest. Nothing would surprise me what he does because it's I could see the, the pros and cons of all those decisions, basically. Now, here's where things get interesting. Yeah. Um, Nebraska, we know about Nebraska. We know about and And here we are, basically, you know, we haven't even eulogized Mike Riley yet, who's still the head coach at Nebraska, by the way. Well, we um, might as well. Well, I, well, let's, you know, uh, Nebraska right now. They're, they're not they just got blown up. They just got blown off by Minnesota, fifty to twenty something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, you it's go up just... fifty to uh, to Minnesota right now. Nebraska four and six overall, three and four oh, in the league. And they oh by the way, they go to Happy Valley, play Penn State. Yeah. Good luck. And they're and they're in the side of the Big Ten that you should that 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 you should compete Correct. for. There's just Wisconsin and then nothing. So I well, mean, that, and that, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of people like to knock the Nebraska job, and you know, oh, you can't bring well, the players there. Yeah, but that goes like that. that goes back to Frank Solich, who went nine and three and got fired 13 years ago. And by the way, he's averaging still nine wins a game at Ohio. Right. He's a pretty <laughs> um, good, he's a pretty consistent coach. Correct. <laughs> correct. Maybe they shouldn't have fired him. How about that? Right. Um, so you brought up a great point, though. And I don't, you know, because I've listened. I mean, Nebraska. I can tell you that Nebraska radio people have talked about Frost for a, almost all year. Once the season was going south, they, they started talking been, about him when he got hired at UCF. <laughs> they, well, they, they, you know, oh, wow, Scott Frost got a head coaching job. Oh, they, if he turns UCF around, we should hire him. <laughs> it was funny because um, I've looked up at some numbers. You know that Nebraska is actually averaged in recruiting classes in the 30s. People would be so people act like nobody goes to players don't go to Nebraska. They actually still do. You know how I feel about recruiting rankings. Well, I understand, but people act like nobody oh nobody he'll never recruit a kid there. They can recruit kids. They've got a lot of things going for them. And you just brought up though the best point. Nebraska's in the right division. It's basically them and Wisconsin. And the fact that they haven't they're kinda like the Miami of the Big Ten in that Miami, we always shook our head for the last decade. How can you not win the Coastal? How can you not compete for the Coastal? Now, they had Virginia Tech, obviously, and you had a Duke and a Carolina get in. But still, you're like, come on. And people made all these excuses why Miami didn't. Well, guess what? Mark Rick fixed it. Right. Um, Truth is, you just need a halfway decent head coach, and they finally got one. And I feel the same way about Nebraska in that I just don't think they've had the right coaches there. They've tried to be something that they're not. You know, from Callahan to Pellini to O'Reilly, they're, they're not good fits there. Um, I, I think they, you know, I could, to me, they blew it. They should have gone after, they should have just hired Frost when he was the coordinator in Oregon, but they got too greedy. They're like, well, he doesn't have the experience, you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If Scott Frost does not end up going to Nebraska, I think it's because I think he felt very slighted that he didn't get it the first time around when Tom Osborne spoke on his behalf and Nebraska yeah. still didn't hire him. Well, and either it's not that or, or or he just or he may just not like the idea of Nebraska considering this to be a sure thing. Oh, we'll just throw however many, you know, five, six, seven million dollars a year at Scott Frost and he'll and he'll come back home. Now, wait a minute, Wan. Let's you know, I, let's let's not assume that that's what I'm going to do here. Well, you especially know? since you looked over me the last time when right. I actually was, you know, uh, when Again, the godfather of the of the program, Dom Osborne, says, "Bring him him to be the coach." No, right. no, thanks. And it's not an accident that Nebraska got rid of the AD who made the last hire. By the way, now here's uh, here. Oh, by the way, so, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, but you're right. I think Nebraska can get back. 
There's no reason why. And I think this is where Nebraska fans are coming from. And I've covered them uh, when they've been playing in Orlando. They're passionate fans. They've sold out every game till the 60s. Yes, they're delusional in that they're not going to be like they were in the 90s. I agree. But what, what college football fan isn't delusional? But I don't think it's unrealistic to say, why can't they be dominant in the Big Ten West and play Ohio State, Michigan, or um, Penn State, for example, for the Big Ten title every year and give yourself a chance to get into the playoff? I don't think that's unrealistic. I think the big question for Scott Frost would be, what happens if I go, you know, six, you know, six and six, ten and two, and then eight and four? You know, are they going to start, you know, climbing down my throat? And then here's the oh, other thing that that happened that I thought was interesting too. Uh, Darren Heitner, who <laughs> is, uh, and I, I wanted to get to this because I know we're we're already pushing one hour here, but Darren Heitner, who is. Um, a sports attorney, author, uh, uh, created sports agent blog. He's a writer at Forbes and a UF graduate twice over. This is all according to his Twitter account, by the way. Uh, tweeted out an update early one, o- 1 o'clock earlier today, Wednesday, November 15th. We're recording this on Wednesday night about the Florida job. And this is what he said. Florida update. Strickland, Scott Strickland, the AD at Florida, wants to move quick. Chip, Chip Kelly, won't last long on the market. Strickland is good with Chip. Chip is good with UF. Spurrier wants Frost. Steve Spurrier throwing his hat behind Scott Frost. Frost (laughs) not looking at opportunities until December. That's believable. Uh, Big moment for Strickland here. So that comes out, and and wow, okay, so that's a, that's a pretty big bombshell. Darren Heitner's a pretty connected guy in terms of agents and all that. Steve Spurrier, who, by the way, changed his Twitter handle to Steve Spurrier UF after he left South Carolina. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, retweets Darren Heitner three hours later and says the following. I am not recommending anyone for the job. We all have complete confidence that Scott Strickland will make the best choice for our school, and we will support his decision 100%. Who do you believe here, Eric Lopez? Oh, I love this. I love this stuff, man. I do. I, Let me first- this, is, this, this does get to the heart of the matter, though, because the college football head coaching game is about agents and power yes. and, and, the, and the power of agents. And Darren Heitner is connected in that world. That's that's why I give that a well, lot more credence, credence well, than me, maybe I would normally. Well, let me give you another reason why you should give him credence. He was the one that broke the Jim McElwain story. Right. He was the one that, bef- leading into that Georgia game, talked about how Florida and McElwain were already talking about a buyout. Remember that? It was, he came out with it, and he was talking about how they have a list of coaches, and they're going to buy them out, and that the alums have gotten notified because they're going to have to pay off the, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you remember Florida came out with that stupid press release on Saturday leading into the Georgia game. Oh, we haven't talked buyout. We haven't done this. What happened 24 hours later? He they, was they gone. Got rid of it. Yeah. So he nailed it. He nailed it. Um, and he's legit. He's credible. I know people that know him. He's not a guy that's just throwing stuff just for the heck of it. Uh, so he's accurate. Now – I, you know, I, how much of that is true? How much is not true? Who knows? It depends on who. And this is one thing I've learned and you've learned this through working in the media. It all depends on who your source is, because it's funny. 
I, I know people in Florida. Now, I'm not one of these people that's like – there's a lot of people that throw, oh, well, I, I live with a neighbor who told me that so-and-so <laughs> is staying. Or so-and-so, right. shut up. All right? But I have talked to people in Florida. Not about – they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know. But what is interesting is I do buy into this. I do think there is a division there as far as I think there's some that want Chip Kelly because he's a big-name coach. He's a big name. He's probably the biggest name out there. Right? But he's also very abrasive, and they don't like that. Well, and that's what somebody – and this is the interesting thing is I was told to, uh, from someone that they – the part they didn't believe about Heitner from what they've heard is that Chip wants Florida. They don't think that's a that's not accurate. There's some hesitancy there because Chip was thinkskin. He was thinkskin in Eugene, Oregon of all places. Can you imagine in Gainesville? No, nah, I, well, I don't know if I believe that so much. Here's where I think it does get interesting, though, because I was reading. Yeah. I, I, you'll have to forgive me because I forget the source where I heard this from. And, and let me say, let me just say this: why I believe him, and I don't believe Spurrier. You know why? Okay. Because Steve Spurrier was on the radio show in Ocala last week with uh, Buddy uh, Buddy Martin, who's mm-hmm. very connected in Florida. Wrote an Urban Meyer book, etc. And Steve Spurrier, I'm going to paraphrase the quote, but you can look it up because I think I even sent you this. He said the Gators coach is currently coaching a team. He's currently with his team. He's going to be coaching all the way until December, whatever, something to that extent. Well, obviously, if the guy that he said was going to be the next coach at Florida is coaching, well, that's not Chip Kelly. So I do believe that Steve Spurrier and Steve Spurrier is not a shy guy. Everybody that I've talked to that dealt with him, he is not a guy that is not afraid. He will, he will express his opinion. But, but does Steve Spurrier and, really know? I think this is what uh, this does is. Does he really know? Or is he just throwing his weight around? I don't think he knows, but I think he is throwing his weight around. I do think him and Jeremy Foley was the former athletic director is still around there, and I think there's a camp in there that wants Scott Frost. Uh, but I think there's a camp that's concerned that Scott Frost is not a big enough name or that he's not coached a, quote, marquee program, quote, unquote, whether people like that comment or not, feel it's a slight, whatever. Um, and I think there's people that would prefer a bigger name. I think there is a I think there's a division of I think some people want Chip and I think some people want Frost. And I don't know what's going to win out. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. But I think that's what's going on there. Yes, I do think. Because you remember when the McElwain stuff, one of the things that people kept bringing up was that Steve Spurrier would bring up ideas to McElwain and he would blow him off. And, and, and the reality is this. Steve Spurrier is the most important figure in that history of that university from a mm. football standpoint. His people will listen to what he has to say, whether you agree with it or not. He, it, it, and, 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 and I'll say this. If it's true, and I don't know if it is true, I'm not saying that Scott Strickland – uh, has to make uh, has to do what Steve Spurrier says, but I will say this: if Strickland, let's say he does hire Chip Kelly, and that doesn't work out, mm-hmm. he's going to get a lot of criticism. Strickland's going to get the gate. Like that, that's that's, that's a career that's, that's a career breaking move because, right there. Now, because now people are going to be like, why did you listen to Steve Spurrier? Why did you not do what he? Why did you, you know? And that's what's going to happen. I'm not saying, you know, then, so are I, we really I, I, are we really going to live in a world where Steve Spurrier gets hired as the athletic director at Florida after that? <laughs> you know, listen, we are we one to talk. We had George O'Leary as an athletic director. Yeah, look how that worked out. Uh, so Tommy Tumberville wants to be an AD. So I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I find it hard to believe that you would make a hire now. I know there's a December signing yes. period, but where is Chip Kelly going? Here's the thing I don't get. He, Heitner mentioned 
Chip Kelly isn't going to be in the market for long. Where the hell is he going? Right. Well, this is this. I I do believe that Chip Kelly will get back into college coaching this year. But and I I actually do think that UF would be actually a pretty good fit for Chip Kelly. You really think so? I really do think so, because he knows how to turn that program. he, He can turn that program around and with basically the same sort of style that Scott Frost did. And he will get that sort of buy-in from the fans because they know yeah, what he did at Oregon. Now, here's what I think is interesting. I, I just want to make this point before you get it. Yeah. Um, Heitner had an earlier tweet. Yeah. This was two days ago. This is where I think it really gets to the crux of what's going on. Heitner tweeted on uh, just before 1 o'clock on November the 13th. That was Monday. Uh, confirmed that UF is looking at Chip Kelly as next head coach. Decision could be as soon as this week. Also heard that Florida was becoming very frustrated with Jimmy Sexton, who represents many other potential candidates. Chip is represented by David Dunn. Now, Jimmy Sexton, it should be noted, um, by the way, the premier agent among college football coaches out there. Go look at his roster list if you want. But Jimmy Sexton was also the... uh, uh, was also the is also the agent for one Jim McElwain. Yeah. Now, well, I mean, he they forced him on a buyout. I'm sure that was really awkward. Now, the fact that he is, you know, working with working that Heitner would know that being at you know the being in that sort of agent. World, I think that would be interesting. By the way, who is Scott Frost's agent? I've been trying to. I'll tell you who it's not. It's not Jimmy Sexton, okay. for the record. So I know people. Some people have thrown that out there, and it's not. Mark Daniels actually cleared that up on his show, and Brandon Elwig, I believe, has even cleared that up as well in the message board. It is not Jimmy Sexton. So that does not okay. have any influence on Scott Frost, one way or the other. Yeah, that's actually that came out. Uh, you know that yeah that he is not, or that he may have been, but he's at least no longer. Scott Frost agent. Well, yeah, I don't know all those details. I just know he's not the agent currently right now. So we'll see what happens. Look, I, I do. I think Heitner does have credence because again, he broke the McElwain story, so it doesn't surprise me that they're going looking at Chip Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you know how this works: is Chip Kelly using them to get another job, Good or is question. Florida using him to put some pressure on other candidates? That's how this stuff works. So you got to yeah. remember last year, Tom Herman, right? Thanksgiving night. Oh, he's going to LSU. He's got a deal done with LSU last. You know, guess what happened? Nope. He used that for leverage to go to Texas. Right. So you never and extracted another few million from the Longhorns. Exactly. So just because this is probably coming from Chip Kelly's agents, probably coming. You know, it's it. There's a lot of interesting motives here. You just don't know what what's going to happen. And I think that's one of the things that people have told me. Just be careful about this kind of stuff every time this stuff comes out. In the meantime, set your notifications for Darren Heitner on Twitter. So, <laughs> All right. Sure. We've gone over an hour straight, uh, and we're only halfway through, <laughs> at least in terms of the things we want to talk about. We're going to take oh. a quick break. Um, you know, probably, probably walk outside. It's really cool just to cool down for a little bit. And then when we get back, um, we're going to talk uh, some UCF soccer uh, and volleyball and sort of wrap things up on that. Um, you know, oh God, it's, it's gonna, that one's going to be a tough one, but just bear with us here. Uh, stick around. The black and gold banneret podcast is back after this. The black and gold banneret podcast is brought to you by the Sam Unger real estate team. Sam and his team proudly serve orange Seminole and Lake counties, specializing in buying, selling and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated night fan 
that right now, fellow Knight fans, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. The real estate market in Orlando has been on the move for some time now, so if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, Sam's got you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give Sam a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit him on the web at samsellsorlando.net. Again, that's samsellsorlando.net. You can also reach Sam on Facebook at facebook.com slash samsellsorlando. Get in touch with the Sam Unger real estate team today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF Sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF Sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, part of blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter, Eric Lopez Elo on Twitter, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Also hit us up on Facebook. Right. And uh, oh, I want to give a shout out, a shout out. I know you've mentioned him already throughout the episode. Yep. Uh, shout out to our good man, Mr. Sam. Unger, yep. Sam man. Unger. Yes, thanks again. Make sure you uh, hit up samsellsorlando.net. Uh, and thanks again to Sam for his support um, that uh, that he started for this month. So thank you again, Sam. Um, let's uh, dive in. We knew we had to do this, Eric, but we got to we got to do it. And it's, and this this one this one hurts. Uh, we're going to talk about soccer and uh, and the UCF women's soccer. We're going to start with women's soccer and. Uh, gosh, a, a heart, I, I don't know, heartbreaking is cliche, and it doesn't seem to actually, you know, be a strong enough adjective to describe what happened. Uh, they lose in the first round at home to Washington State in the first round of the NCAA tournament. One to nothing on an own goal. Uh, a game where UCF pretty much dominated the action back on Saturday night at home. But they lose to a team. And, and I got to give credit to you, Eric Lopez. You called this. You said Washington State was going to be a tough out because they're a Pac-12 team. They knocked out. They, they knocked off UCLA, Amanda Cromwell, earlier this season. Don't let the record fool you. They came into the season, they came into the tournament, rather, 9-7-3. And, and they come in and they beat UCF uh, on an own goal four minutes and 31 seconds into the game. Uh, the Knights finished the season 13, two and three. Uh, but you know, last two matches, uh, loose, uh, the, the loss to USF on PKs, even though I know that doesn't count as a loss, it's still, you know, like I said, who's holding the trophy at the end of the game. 
And then a week later, they lose to uh, Washington State. Just a just a heartbreaking end to a season that I said on Twitter earlier this or earlier this week. This team deserved a better ending than this uh, for the for just what they were able to do throughout the season. To have them bow out in the first round just seems so grossly unfair. Um, you know, we're not. There's a bunch of players that we're not going to see anymore for UCF. That's that that make me that really make it. Or it's going to be heartbreaking. Um, you know, Christine Creighton's uh, a senior. Um, yeah. Bridget Callahan, senior. Uh, Julian Moore, senior. Kayla Adamek, a senior. Uh, Morgan Ferrara, senior. Boy, is it going to be tough to see her go. Uh, Saga well, Fredrickson, well, senior. Yeah. This is. Oh. Yeah, I mean, th- th- everything was set up, but that's that's the cruelty of soccer is one game and it's all over. And, you know, bottom line is, like I think you're probably going to say, 200 minutes of soccer, Eric, their last two matches, they failed to score a goal. Oh, oh uh, yeah, that's going to put me back in a fetal position. Look, I was there and I was there for most of all of those. Um, well, I was there in the Washington State match. You mentioned the own goal. And first of all, Washington State was really big. They're really lengthy. They were, uh, yeah. They, they they really did have like a, a a real size event. I thought that they were unusually fast. Yes, yeah. And I I, I think that gave us some problems. But uh, that being said, I thought UCF was a little tentative. And I thought in the back line, I thought UCF uh, wasn't as crisp as they've been all year. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. This tells you how – I mean, this was as gun-wrenching of a loss in any UCF sport that I've seen ever. I mean, the post game was emotional. We're going to hear from Coach Sahadak here shortly. I mean, it was just an emotional, uh, tough post game from that standpoint. Uh, but it, it, it was interesting because the own goal you mentioned was because they were a little sloppy on the backside as far as clearing the ball and things like that. And they were similar to USF. It just didn't cost them in the USF match. And I was trying to figure out why. And I actually did a – this tells you how depressed I was. <laughs> I actually went back and watched the semifinal match against Memphis, which I was also at. It was on the American Digital Network, so I watched that on YouTube. And I actually watched the Arizona State match that they won earlier this year in Tempe because I had it on my DVR still. That's how – I'm trying to figure out what happened. And one of the things I wonder – and I didn't get a chance to ask, and I don't know if I will. Maybe I will, you know, if I run into them. Do you remember what happened in the Memphis match? Uh, you'll have to refresh my memory as well. There was an injury. There was an injury with Lawrence, one of their players. Right. Um, which, of course, now my internet's not working. <laughs> so I, maybe since your internet's working, you can tell me when she went down, and uh, you could tell her a little bit more about her. She Harry went down. Lawrence, a junior from Timber Thank Creek High you. School. Yeah. Position? Uh, she's listed as a midfielder. Yes. She was been a start of been consistent there. She got hurt in the Memphis match. Uh, it looked serious. She, she got carted off. It was very bad. It turned out, I think she sprained, it was severe sprained ankle. Anyway, she missed the championship game and she missed, uh, I believe she missed the Washington state game. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that injury, and I know it sounds cliche, I mean, you have depth and everything, players step up and everything, but you know how it is when you're a well-oiled machine, one little glitch, and you wonder, yeah. and I just wonder if that hurt them a little bit from a, a, a bat, you know, defensively playing the midfield control of possession uh, standpoint, uh, a couple of factors there. 
I, I just don't know if they were the same after that injury. You mentioned the offensive struggle. They hadn't scored. Uh, they had chances. They dominated Washington State in that second half. I mean, they dominated. And you mentioned the cruelty. Unfortunately, I'm a big soccer guy. But soccer, unlike any other sport, you could dominate a match and not get the result that you deserve. Uh, you could get completely outplayed and win. Um, and that's what I think happened in this match. UCF dominated, basically. They just couldn't put the ball in the net. And Washington State had a great goalie, made some big saves. I mean, there were some great saves there. But UCF attacked them, and, uh, but it was too late. And they couldn't get the ball in the net. And it's a crushing loss. It's... Does this, you know, does this give people ammo, you know, on the national side in, in, in sports like soccer and volleyball and softball? Does this give people ammo to say, well, that's why you're UCF, is that you can't, you can't take care of business on your home field against a, against a quote, power conference opponent, end quote. Um, of course, I, you know how I feel about that. I feel like they're full of crap when they say that. But, but, does, that, um, but does this give them more ammo for that? I will say this. I I think what happens is you may not get the benefit of a doubt in a seeding situation maybe down the road. You know what I mean? You may not get the benefit of a doubt if it's, oh, you think you should be a two or three seed, but you end up being a four. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That that might be what happens. You know, we'll see. Um, It's hard to say. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there'll be people that will question things. Um, Look, I've been covering – I've been going to UCF football games – since 98 i've been going to men's basketball games since 2001 i've been following i've pretty much been going to olympic sports since 2007 especially including women's soccer uh to me the washington state loss is one of the most gut-wrenching toughest losses in ucf athletics history um yeah i still we record this on wednesday jeff and i and, I, and i'm not kidding you I still haven't gotten over it. And I was there. I haven't gotten over it. And I'm not even a broadcaster for the team. Hey, you're not a coaching uh, staff or a player or anything. No, no. I, and I'm not there every day with them. Um, I like Tiff a lot. I like, you know, the players are good. Megan, the SID, obviously I know because she did softball before that. Uh, but I'm not there. It's not like softball where I'm broadcasting every game and I'm there every day. Like the most gut-wrenching loss in my career in softball clearly was the regional winner's bracket game in Tallahassee in 2015 where UCF's up one nothing. And they're three outs away from the winner's bracket game with Shelby Turnier and McKenzie Otis ready to go. And you lose that game on a walk-off and don't recover from that magical year. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was your chance to get out of the regional. That's the most gut-wrenching loss for me personally in softball. But I was the broadcaster. So emotionally, I mean, I actually teared up uh, when uh, on the regional final on that Sunday when it looked where it pretty much was evident UCF was going to – the season was going to end because it was very gut-wrenching. You spent all that time and all that work – and it just ends abruptly when you least expect it. And that's what happened on Saturday night. It was the most gut-wrenching postgame. I mean, the girls were in tears. I think there was shock. There was a lot of pain. Um, in fact, here, wait, let's just play it now. Let, uh, Coach Sahedek afterwards acknowledged the pain that she has because she loved this team. And sad that it's ended. I love this team. Um, I love my seniors. I did not want this season to end ever. Just I enjoy every minute uh, being together, whether we're out at training or we're at a team meal together, or you know we're just walking over to our practice field, they, them popping into my office, whatever it is. Like this is such a great group. Um, 
that care so much about each other and work so hard that when you have something that special, like character and the people, uh, you just you want to keep it together as long as you can. But I'm proud. I told them that uh, our season is not defined by this one game. I know it feels like that to them right now, but they've accomplished so much. Yeah, I mean, you can hear the emotions there. And um, to me, Jeff, it's one of the top because – and the reason is is because – It'd be one thing if they would have lost in the second or third round. Hey, it happens, you know. Hey, Florida, you know, whatever. I mean, it was said uh, the fact that this year the NCAA, the College Cups in Orlando, you you have a situation where you could possibly host all the way until the Elite Eight. That's that's a tough pill to swallow. It's a tough pill to swallow for everybody, and uh, it's a great year, but it's definitely a what if year. And it's uh, I felt bad. I felt bad because I think those people, and you know this, you you you've been around Tiff. Um, they represent the school very well. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's funny. I've talked to a lot of di- I, I talked to a lot of different people in that school there. Nobody has a bad word to say. Um, you know, Greg Lovelady, for example, baseball coach, he was there for the conference tournament. He was there on selection Sunday, uh, selection Monday. Um, obviously Scott Calabrese, cause he coached mm-hmm. staff and everything, but the softball people, everybody likes her and everybody likes the players that everybody was, you know, they had former uh, players from other teams, we're supporting the program, and uh, I just felt it just a, that was a tough one for me, Jeff. It yeah. was a very difficult one, uh, and to me, in my in, in, in all UCS sports, it's what the top five in gut wrenching losses. Obviously, football has a ton. Well, I was going to say, what would you, what would be your what would be your top five? This one, well, the softball, Florida State. Yeah, yeah, those are the two. Obviously, when I think of men's basketball. I think of the quarterfinal in Conference USA in 07. Remember when UCF Kirk Sparrow had that magical year? They got the two seed, and they played Rice with Morris Aldman, and mm-hmm. they got cold down the stretch, and Morris Aldman buried a three and knocked him out yeah. in the quarterfinals. I think if UCF wins that game, I think they would have gotten to the finals. They would have lost to Memphis because that was John Calipari. Right. But I think that would have gotten UCF into the NIT. You know, and this is you know back then when it was just NIT and it was a smaller tournament than it is now where you have the CBI and all that stuff and that I would, sucked. I would it, say, it, it, uh, I, 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 yeah, that one's up there. I would put, I would put that tournament game against Pitt in Worcester, Mass, in oh four. Were you there? I th- yeah, I was not there, but I was producing okay. the game back at home. And I think UCF had a lead late in the second half, and they were just they were doing everything right to win that game. And Pitt just kind of found a way to scrape by and get past us. Um, that was that one hurt. Um, women's basketball. There was that stretch with Gail Striegler when we were in the A Sun, where we were really good. Had the championship game at home, I think it was an 03 or 04 against Georgia State. And Georgia State and Patricia Hartman just diced us to pieces. Right. Um, uh, football, I think the most heartbreaking loss has to be the Hawaii Bowl against Nevada in our first bowl game, uh, Christmas night. Uh, to lose on a <laughs> missed extra point in overtime. <laughs> By a future by a, Pro Bowl, by a future Pro Bowler and twelve-year NFL veteran kicker, um, is just to me. It's still astounding. I, I actually, 
came across the end of that game on YouTube somehow just recently. I watched the end of it, and I was like, I still can't, I still can't believe Matt Prater missed that kick. I think, and 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 I can't even imagine how Matt how Matt Prater must feel. Um, that's up there. That's up there. I mean, I could think of the Kansas State game. It was a regular season game. I want to say was uh, somewhere between 2010, 2012, where there was this long, lengthy weather delay because of tornadoes yeah. and stuff. And they dominated the game. And then Kansas State drove late and stole that game from UCF. That's right up there. Anytime you lose a power five, I'm sure old longtime night fans will think back to the oh, Georgia. Game they'll think back to 99. Georgia. They'll think back to Clemson. The they'll think back to, yeah, the OPI. Uh, they'll think back to Clemson. They'll think to a couple of the Penn State games. How about the one where Dante Culpepper tripped going on a quarterback draw? I believe it was at Mississippi, or, or it was I think it was at, at Ole Miss in uh, yeah. in that era. They lost to Auburn in '98 as well. Auburn so, is another one close game. Uh, I mean, there's plenty in football that we can digest over that, the years. That uh, first US, conference USA championship game that was at home Tulsa. at the Citrus Bowl against Tulsa, where we had the lead, I think, at halftime. And then, uh, and then Tulsa just kind of they kept throwing to that guy, that tight end. I forget his name, but they, uh, but he just Garrett Mills. Garrett Mills, that's right. And uh, ah, sick memory. Uh, yeah, I mean and that was and and that season is emotionally as emotional as that season was. That was a heartbreaking way for that to, to for that for that to end. That was the game before the Hawaii Bowl. But um, what about what about the uh, the Liberty Bowl against Mississippi State? We had yeah. Kevin Smith. 2,000 yards, and then and Mississippi State just shut you down. Yeah, couldn't score. Uh, 2010, by the way, was the UCF-Kansas State game that I was referring to, or UCF yeah. dominated that game and lost it 17-13. to 13. Uh, they, had, and they had many issues, weathered issues. Car- Carson Kaufman with a seven-yard touchdown round, that geeky dweeb quarterback stro- scoring with 24 seconds left. To beat the Knights in that game, that was a gut wrencher. I think back to the 2012 USA title game with Tulsa. We had the controversy with the the refs blowing a call. Where the you know it's just a, just a lot. It's a lot of football. Uh, this is depressing. Uh, I want to move on to something else Thank that's you. only. Unfortunately, just, we got one more gut wrenching loss. We could add to that yeah, the next day. Also depressing is uh, men's soccer. Their unbeaten run comes to an end in the American Athletic Conference championship game. They uh, against SMU. SMU is the uh, host top seed. Uh, the Knights got through. Um, they were down one nothing, but in the eighty seventh minute, an own goal by SMU gave UCF a shot, tied the game at one. Knights had a couple of chances, actually staved off a couple of chances from SMU. They go to overtime, and in the ninety sixth minute, uh, Emil Cuello of uh, SMU. Uh, scored the game winner, a golden goal that uh, that ended it for UCF. This is a uh, this is a game where incredible Cal- shot. Watch that. Line. Yeah, I mean, really amazing, uh, really amazing play. You just kind of got got to tip your hat to him. Um, made all the more painful by the fact that UCF was playing with ten men because Cal Jennings, who's oh. who's came out as UCF's second best scoring threat. Uh, Picked up a red card uh, in the 86th minute, um, right before the own goal, and um, that was a. Uh, I mean, who knows what could have happened in the overtime if Cal Jennings was out there? But uh, UCF men's soccer in their first year under Scott Calabrese, I think, I think you got to give them you got to give them an A grade, right? I mean, eight. I know their the record is eight six and two. They did not get an at large bid to the NCAA tournament field of forty eight for men's soccer, but. To go from where they were at one five and one, 
and then make it to overtime of the conference championship game um, is a tribute to the players and is a tribute to the coaching staff. And, uh, and I think we should all tip our cap to Coach Calabrese in his first year uh, and the job that he's done. I think the future certainly is bright for UCF um, men's soccer as well, as it should be for UCF women's soccer too. Still got a lot of young players on that roster that there's going to be a lot of players who they're going to have to replace um, and that's where it comes. That's where it comes down to recruiting for Tiffany Roberts and Haydack. But that's the name of the game. Um, well, it, it, well, I'll say this. I mean, the, I didn't agree with the red card. I thought that was accidental. I didn't. I mean, you know, going back to the women's soccer match, there was a handball that looked like Washington State had a handball in the box. They didn't call either. So, right. I didn't think UCF soccer got the benefit of the doubt of the whistle. But the fact they tied. I mean, they lost in overtime to the number eleven ranked team in the country uh, at their place. I, I think. Scott Calabrese, and I've said this, another great hire by Danny White. They play great soccer down the stretch. Now they're going to have to replace Matias Pusolo. That will not be easy because I think he's one of the best to ever play in that program. But uh, the team was clicking. And, boy, you talk about what if, Jeff. Can you imagine if they didn't have all those interruptions at the beginning of the year with cancellations and the weather issues? I think that – I think – you know, I think that hurt them as far as getting, you know, and he mentioned that they were just starting to learn each other and learn to play each other and learn the system. They could I never wonder- get momentum. They could never get momentum until, the until they, they got finally it the got end. it in the end. Yeah. I wonder if they would have just had a normal. I mean, they didn't play a first home match till October. Can you imagine if they would have had a normal September? Maybe we'd be talking about UCF right now in the NCAA tournament. Right. Just throwing it out there. Well, I, I, I still think you got to tip your cap to him because what a job that they oh, did yeah. getting get, getting to where they did. I, I, they definitely, I mean, it was it was looking pretty bleak there for a while, but for them to finish as they did, I, I think is a real tribute to the effort going forth. So, uh, a bummer, another another completely just bummer end to a, a great season uh, for UCF men's soccer and UCF women's soccer, and uh, we won't be seeing them again until 2018, which. Uh, kind of breaks our hearts because there's a because we you know we love UCF soccer and and we love covering them so they so but you know hopefully you know like I said recruiting will go well healthy spring healthy summer I'll get back after it next year so thanks again to uh, um, to everyone on the UCF soccer uh, you know, on the UCF soccer side of things helping us out throughout the year um, update you on volleyball before we go uh 15 and 13 overall are the Knights 8 and 8 in the league and I wanted to bring something up here too because um they get double they they pulled the double sweep uh this past weekend at home defeating Tulane uh and Houston uh respectively on Friday and Sunday uh to get back to two games above uh 500 um I'm checking this the standards here or, or the uh the the uh the standings I should say in the American um, but there was something that I wanted to, um, bring up. There was a couple, a little bit of consternation in, in a couple of circles about UCF. But let me tell you something. Oh, now I brought this point up and I wanted to reemphasize it out there to some people who don't know what they're talking about, which is unfortunately quite a few. Um, UCF volleyball right now is rebuilding on the fly in a more difficult conference. By the way, they're already fighting an uphill battle. All right. Uh, because the American itself does not get enough respect from the national, um, from the national, uh, for, for, uh, on a national level in terms of volleyball. All right. And 
here's the problem that I that 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 I just that that I just run into all the time is you got a lot of these people kind of be like, well, well this is kind of a dis- what a disappointment disappointment. What do you what in the hell are you talking about? Um, first of all, consider the team that the, the the conference upgraded itself by getting Wichita State. All right. The pe- the teams in the conference. I'm actually going to pull this up here and just. Well, let me point this out while you looked it up because mm-hmm. I was there for the uh, Tulane match. They look very good, and you're right; they're very young. Uh, they only lose a couple players from this team. Obviously, Kia breaks one of them. But something to keep in mind: you, they're going to go on the road. They got Connecticut and Temple this week, and then they finish with a home and home against USF. If they finish strong, mm-hmm. uh. uh you know, and talking to people, I think there's a very strong chance this team can make the NIT. There is an NIT this there year. There is a volleyball NIT. Uh, it's right. volleyball, and I, I believe it's 64 teams. I don't know what I don't know how many teams there is, but I've been told that uh, if this team finishes very strong, uh, let's you know, let's just say hypothetically they win three of the last four, right? Let's just say yeah. they go three out of four. That would put them at what? That would put them uh, like 18 and 14, something like that. Uh, you know, their RPI is currently going into this week 97. Uh, they can keep that under 100. I think they'll down. I think they'll be in the NIT and maybe even host an NIT match. This is the first that year. Would be nice volleyball, and th- th- that's important from the standpoint of it's a young roster. Like Ali Sable is still very young. I watched he was right. dominant the Tulane win. Yes, that extra week or two of practice and games to build for next year for them. Look, volleyball has an uphill battle, and I, I know me and Todd have talked about it. Um, I know he's not, you know, it, it, it. there's a big, 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 big gap in volleyball when it comes to the selection process, when it comes to power five versus the non-power yes, five. Yes, that, that's it, what I wanted it, to bring up here. That's yeah. what I wanted to bring Okay, so, you know, it, it's hard to build a volleyball program, it, you know, if you're, if you're outside the Midwest or the West, okay? Only Florida and Florida State have done it. They've invested millions of dollars in doing so. And even so, they are occasionally inconsistent. You talk about the South. Okay, well, what about the Southeastern Conference? Georgia, I was there when they were trying to invest in their volleyball program, fell flat on its face. South Carolina tried. Ole Miss tried. Bama tried and failed. The ACC is a disaster in terms of volleyball outside of Florida right, State. Right, the sport is really dominated by the Big Ten and the Pac-12 right. and the Big Eight. Now, or the Big 12, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, now, now uh, yeah, the Big Eight, right. Now, th- this was last year, okay, this was the um, this was the breakdown of at-large bids handed out. Uh, the Pac-12 got this is at-large bids only. The Pac-12 got seven, the Big Ten got six, the Big Twelve got six. Care to guess how many at-large bids the SEC got? Uh, I'll say two, three. Yeah. Same as the Mountain. Same, by the way, as the Mountain West. Uh, care to guess how many the ACC got? I'll say two. That would be two. Same as the Missouri Valley Conference. Vaunted volleyball powerhouse there. Uh, the West Coast, the MAC, the Big East all got one at-large bid. By the way, interestingly enough, so did the American. Well, what's up with that? I'll tell you what's up with that. Usually we get between eight to ten teams from the Pac-12 getting in every year. All right? So in the American, right, the, th- the four years prior to this year that the American has existed, care to guess how many at-large bids the American has gotten to the NCAA tournament in volleyball? I think I know this. It's one, right? The answer is one. 
Right, last and that year. That was Cincinnati, Cincinnati last yeah. year. Now, mind you, last year the American had four 20-win teams and two more that had 19 wins. Since he, by the way, got that at-large bid, at there's no tur- remember there's no tournament in the American. Since he got 20, since he was 22 and nine and got in as an at-large, that's one fewer win than UCF had last year. UCF had 23 wins last year. Okay, didn't get into the tournament. Cincinnati at 22 did. 2015. This is the year that UCF went 15 and 17 because Kia Bright blew out her knee. There were three 20-win American teams, two more with 19, no at-large bid. 2014, the year UCF won the league, five American teams got 20 wins. And in 2013, when the league was won by Louisville, who's not even there anymore, there were three 20-win teams. All right? So nationally, there is just zero respect for the American, which drives me absolutely crazy. And part of the problem is... I mean, how many matches you have in a season? 30? A team has 30 matches? Uh, a little bit more than 30-ish, that. Yeah. 30-ish, right? And how many are in, in a majority of, I would, I would say, what, 60, 65, 70% of that are conference games. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only a few weeks that you have non-conference, and the big boys, or the big girls in this case, the power conferences, they're not going to come to UCF to play. They're going to want them to either come to their place or stuff like that. And, and actually, in volleyball, they just kind of monopolize it. They play each other. Like, yeah. you know, they'll play each other. They don't even play. They play these tournaments in these four f- first four weekends right. of the season. And it's it's just, yeah. it's. Which it's, obviously obscures the RPI. Right. Which and I know it, it's great. Yeah. It's it, the, the Big 12 teams and the Big 10 teams and the Pac 12 teams, they just, all they do is play each other. Correct. So and it's it's absolutely it's. So where is this coming from? Where is this? Did somebody go out? Uh, was critical? And you're on social media. Yeah, what somebody happened? was out on the board. who didn't know what they're talking about. But it, so I wanted to address that. So again, you know, let's bear in mind that this year their nights are starting. I think you mentioned it, how young the team is. They're starting tr- starting two true freshmen, two true sophomores, and one more sophomore transfer in her first year from UCF. That's the setter, one of the setters, I should say. Um. And this is a team that is coming off losing, among others, Jayla Hervey, who is the only player in the history of UCF volleyball to record 500 kills in a season since the rally scoring era began. That was back in 2002. So my conclusion on this is, look, we're rebuilding on the fly, fighting a more difficult uphill battle against a tougher conference with Wichita State, by the way, that everyone else is beaten up on is is beaten up on each other. Um, you're probably going to get one, two, three, three twenty win teams out of the American, but you may have uh, you may have more than half the league not get to get more than half the league um, finish with nine wins or fewer in the conference. And, and that's and that's that's just the league beating itself up, just like we thought would happen. So, well, Wichita State obviously very good. Yeah, well, uh, but they're not the only reason why. You know, they right. are a reason why. Hell, they're undefeated in conference for crying out loud. They're sixteen and twenty four and three. Right. But I think UCF's the only team that's taken them to five sets, which was I was there for that match as right. well. Look, it's young. It's a young team, and. Um, it wasn't like there was high expectations going into the year. I think they were picked middle of the pack in the league. Right. So fifth or sixth, depending on who you ask. 
I know they're happy with the recruiting class they just had. They have a, a couple of talented players from Minnesota, which is not easy to get. Um, so, yeah, I think they just got to build it up, and you hope that the next year maybe is the year that kind of you take that jump there and make that run. Um, but I do think, and I, I that the league's got to there, there's. I know he's anti-conference tournament, man, but I think it would benefit the league, to be honest with you, because you know Wichita State's going to get in this year. But if you had the tournament, somebody knocks Wichita State out, you get yourself a second or third team in there. So uh, I don't know how to fix it. I mean, that's a volleyball issue. Um, I'm, you know, the NIT will be interesting how that runs if the UCF gets in there. But that's a, I know that's a problem that the sport has had for a while now that is very biased towards the Pac-12, Big 12, and Big 10. And I don't know what the solution is, to be yeah. honest. Well, I would like to see a conference tournament personally because, and, and by the way, because there's more right. volleyball to be had. <laughs> and that's why. Well, that too. And, and by the I just way, love I, tournament I, volleyball. That's why. You mentioned it. The South has had a lot of the struggles with that. Um, it is. I mean, a lot of players, and I don't know, we've had Erin Campbell on. Maybe we'll have to try to get her on again, and uh, she can kind of give, I'm curious what her thoughts on it is from that standpoint. Because you're right, really, Florida, I don't even count, like Florida State's had a good run, but they've been inconsistent. Florida with Mary Wise, they've been the only ones that have been really consistent at the top every year, and they can't even crack the, the final four. Um, I think the deepest they've been to recently is the Elite Eight, I think, but yeah. Yeah, it's a tough, man. It's tough. And then you add the fact that you have beach volleyball. Some schools are really more focused on that to some extent, maybe, to try to take advantage of that. And in some of these schools, they take they, they pay more attention to the soccer programs. So it's a it's a it's a challenge. Yeah, I mean, it, it has been. By the way, uh Florida volleyball, they went to the they've been to the regional final. Uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, five times since 2004 under Mary Wise. They did make the final four in 2002, um, but that's the only time that they've gotten. That's the most recent time that they've gotten that far. They did go to three straight final fours in 96, 97, and 98, and actually that was a stretch of uh, five final fours in seven years going back to 1992. Um, they, Florida did have a stretch from 1995 until 2004 where they never lost a match in the SEC. Which some would argue <laughs> is because the SEC is not very good. Exactly, which is what I've been trying to tell people is that the SEC is not good at volleyball, but no one wants no Which is weird. Pe- well, it's just weird for people to you know digest that because they're just assumed that the SEC is very yeah. good at everything. Well, they, money. They, of course, because they – yeah, yes, yes. They, everyone assumes that because it's the SEC that it's great at everything, and I got news for you, it isn't. So, <sighs> right. you feel better? And, you, feel, and, you got that and, off your chest? You and feel rant, and rant. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. I don't know. Have a glass have of wine. Have to get Aaron on. Cool have down. to get Aaron back on. I'm curious to hear her thoughts on that, though. It's very good. She's gonna I have to cool. It. Yeah, she, we need to find Aaron and have her back on there. Maybe, maybe talk me off the ledge here. So. Anyway, sounds good. All right, let's. Uh, we've gone. We've gone almost two hours now, Eric Lopez. What, uh, what? What do you have in mind? What do you have coming up this week? Well, first of all, this has been good therapy for me. I'm no longer in a fetal position, so if it makes you feel better, uh, you've been I'm very glad I could help. Uh, <laughs> what are friends what for? <laughs> I'm actually uh, speaking of volleyball. I'm pl- I'm going to begin prep work. I'll be at the last home match. Can't believe I'm saying that. 
Uh, Wednesday, November 22nd, UCF USF. That'll be on the American Digital Network. Uh, I'll have more details on that in the coming days, but I'll be involved in that broadcast. I think I'm working with Aaron again, speaking of, uh, for that match, which is senior night. So I'll be do- getting ready for that. Uh, I'm getting ready. Obviously, we got the Advocare tournament. I'm going to try and head out there for men's basketball, football. Obviously, Black Friday will be there for US South. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of what's coming up. We'll get into that more next week. But uh, for now, I'm just uh, getting ready. Uh, also doing, uh, of course, Fast Pitch News. I work at Fast Pitch News, softball latest news, doing the In the Circle podcast. I'm actually, ironically enough, scheduled to have Tim Walton for a recorded interview with him, the Florida Gators head How coach. About that? that might come out next. Maybe I'll ask him about what he thinks. Does he want Skip Chip Kelly or Scott Frost? We'll see how he's. <laughs> ask him about when he threw that visor when you were playing us the other day, a couple of years ago. Remember that? I do. You have video he, of that. Pulled, I'm not sure pulled the old Steve Spurrier on us. Steve would have been proud. <laughs> uh, so that's what's going on. I got some of those stuff and get ready to watch the Temple game. I will be back on the blog, baby, back on Saturday. And I will be also updating the stats as we hopefully beat Nightline again in our fantasy stats. <laughs> Well, uh, like you said, we will have our live blog of the Temple game at noon on Saturday as well. Keep an eye out for um, a Derek Warden's photo gallery from the most recent game against. What a, what a phenomenal job he's done, huh? I, I, I cannot thank Derek enough for the job that he has done uh, on the photo. Uh, you yeah, know, we don't need we need to give wise. him. Let's give him and Murphy some more shout outs. You know, it's funny somebody yeah. brought that up to me. I was at Burger. You was like, man. I, I love the re- really. I, I love the reading with Murph does in the photo. So we let's salute the two of them yes. here for a moment here. Oh, they get they get huge attaboys uh, for all the work that they've done throughout this football season, which we're already almost done. But we're going to have more for basketball as well. So, uh, and then also we're going to have uh, yeah, I mentioned the live blog on Saturday, and we're just going to be following what happens obviously with Scott Frost uh, and with basketball also going through as we head into Thanksgiving weekend. By the way, a little programming note. We're going to be doing the show next week a little early, Eric. We're going to record on Monday night, Monday night, so we can try and get the we can try and get the show up um, before you head out of town uh, for Thanksgiving. So perhaps you could listen to it as you're driving to wherever it is that you're going uh, for Thanksgiving Day. We wanted to get it up there so that because you know, usually we record on Wednesday nights, but one of the know. biggest episodes of the year with one of the biggest yeah. football games, maybe the history of Spectrum Stadium to possibly to be taking place. Uh, we hope to have some big guests for that show. And, of course, volleyball. I mentioned that with USF men's basketball playing at the Advocare Tournament. So a lot's mm-hmm. going on. It's going to be a yeah. huge episode. Monster, monster episode on Monday. So be on the lookout for that. We're hoping to have that up Tuesday morning for you. So uh, keep an eye out for that. So we appreciate you there. Uh, thanks once again, as always, like Eric mentioned, to Brian Murphy and Derek Warden for all their help. Um, thanks to you, Eric. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thanks to our sponsor, Sam Unger, Sam Unger Realty Group, SamSellsOrlando.net. And thanks to you, the fans, for listening. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.